Another Sunday night delight. It is the Blender right here on the Rundown Wrestling Network. Sort of your palate cleanser after a week of insanity that we bring to you on this Rundown Wrestling feed. We are back, and when I say we, it's because I am not alone on this edition of the Blender because that would sort of defeat the entire purpose of the Blender. It is a two-man show, and I have another man here with me. Well, not here with me in the room, here with me on Skype, but he is here. We have a Big topic to talk about. Probably the biggest thing in the world of wrestling in the last week or so. And we're going to go in-depth and deep dive on AEW's inaugural pay-per-view, Double or Nothing. And the person who has chosen to take the time to sit down with me to discuss this monumental event in professional wrestling history is the host of WrestleMania Salvation right here on this very Rundown Wrestling Network and the man who has been on seven consecutive episodes of the rundown setting a new personal record sal in the house sal what's going on what's up jason i had to come on the blender this night because i got a lot to say about double or nothing awesome well i'm sure we're gonna have a lot to talk about so i am starting the clock for an hour and we are underway here for those of you who are not familiar with the concept of the blender we sit and talk for an hour we time it out when an hour runs out we run out of time so we are not going to allow ourselves to go over an hour talking about this show tonight we may, we may discuss it again on the Rundown proper this week and go over four hours on it like we did for All In. But who knows? We'll find out on Thursday night. But kicking things off last night, and we'll get into overall thoughts later on, but we had the uh, buy-in pre-show. Sort of a cool, I like how they themed the pre-show name. That was kind of cool. Uh, and we started right off the bat, hot from the start. Not much uh, kicking around. We went sort of right into the Casino Battle Royale, probably the highlight of the kickoff show. So we went right into it. I just wanted to make sure they had more than enough time to get everything done that they needed to get done. Um, we're not going to go through too much ultimate recap here. The concept of this was very, very weird. Um, five, was it three different, four different groups of five wrestlers? Yeah, they all had on, the card suits, the diamonds, yeah. the clubs, the hearts, and the spades. Yeah, and then the 21st entrant would be the Joker, the last person. Uh, our first group featured MJF, Maxwell Jacob Friedman, Sunny Days, Michael Nakazawa, Brandon Cutler, and the no legged wrestler, Dustin Thomas. Our second group to enter was Brian Pillman Jr., Isaiah Kennedy, Jimmy Havoc, Joey Janela with the lovely Penelope Ford, and the former Ty Dillinger, Mr. Sean Spears. The next group featured Billy Gunn, Glacier, uh, Jungle Boy, Ace Romero, Mark Quinn. Mark Quinn? Is it Quinn? Quinn? I, I don't remember how it's passed. Meh. Anyway, he wasn't much of a consequence in the match anyway. Uh, then the last group consisted of Luchasaurus, Marco Stunt, Sonny Kiss, Tommy Dreamer, and Orange Cassidy. And we'll get into the 21st entrant in a moment. Uh, Sal, what were your thoughts of the just general concept of this type of match? I like that they made it different, that instead of starting with 20 guys... Or, you know, typical Royal Rumble way where one guy enters after a set amount of minutes. You had groups of five. I think that was interesting because we hadn't seen that before. I think it worked for this Battle Royal. 
And uh, it, it was definitely different as far as that concept goes. Very true. Uh, some highlights from the early going of this match. Uh, Marco Stunt got eliminated by via pounce from Ace Romero, who looked gigantic in this. Like, I've worked with Ace before, but he looks like he's bigger than I remember him being. I was going to say, the last time I saw Ace, I think was at, um, might have been a Limitless show, but he Probably. definitely looks bigger. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So that was, that was one spot. Then it's sort of an ironic turn of events. Uh, a man who spent a lot of his WWE career getting his legs cut out from under him was eliminated by a guy with no legs. But as Ty Dillinger, Sean Spears got bounced by Dustin Thomas. And then, of course, in the ultimate heel move, MJF eliminated the no-legged wrestler. I, I knew MJF was a prick. I didn't realize how bad of a prick he actually is. <laughs> oh, he's is. so fucking good at being a prick, though. He's uh, just one of the best heels that a lot of people don't know yet. They are going to know him through this. Um, of course, number 21, the Joker, the entrant. The man who was not going to be on the show because his knee was too bucked, be beaten up. Hangman Page uh, entered the ring, and at which point I think everybody sort of knew where we were going with this thing. Um, the thing I didn't expect, and, and may, I was a little surprised, and I don't know how you felt, was sort of the the run that Luchasaurus got in this match. He was made to feel like a big fucking deal in this match. I believe it was the last one in the ring with Hangman Page, um, a spot that you would have maybe assumed would have gone to MJF, especially well, based it on what we saw later. basically go to MJF, because after Hangman eliminated Luchasaurus, MJF revealed he was under That's the true. ring and tried to get Hangman out. But, you know, I get what you're saying. Um, okay, so I was not familiar with Luchasaurus, other than the name. Yeah. And I got to tell you, this guy looked great. Yeah, he looked great size, look, yeah. Hard-hitting, definitely unique look. Yeah, um, not as so, not. I mean, it was it's it's a hokey gimmick in general, but he looked much more hokey. I think in his Ring of Honor run, like when Troy saw him, than he did now. I think he's made some tweaks to the gimmick, uh, and the look is a lot better now. Speaking of tweaks to the gimmick, it bears mentioning I've never seen Ar Orange Cassidy wrestle, and um, I didn't see much of him wrestling on the show either. <laughs> I, I, I gotta admit, I've heard about the gimmick. And it, there's something there. I don't know what it is. But I, it's it impressive very, uh, to do a kip up with your hands in your pockets, though. That's we'll true. That. that is true. Right. Um, also, Hangman Page, you know, great that he won. I think he's the right guy to win. Who would have been the winner if not for what happened with Pac, I wonder? But what, I guess it's of no consequence. They got what they wanted out of it anyway. So. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's a discussion we can have on a later date you got to wonder if the result of this match sort of influenced the match later on and we'll talk about that when we get there but of course as sal just told us the winner of this match this battle royale moving on to fight for the aew heavyweight champion i assume it's going to be at this all-out event in august yeah um, that's what i'm thinking they're gonna I, do the one in chicago yeah i don't think it's gonna be at fight for the fall and that doesn't seem like a big enough event to crown your first speaking of which so. this was a little bit confusing throughout the show there are two events coming up one is fight for the fallen that i don't think is canon i think it's just for the like like a house show sort of event yeah so. yeah and then the other one was um fighter fest yes i think that's actually like a show like in their storyline that's part of a of a festival event it's not based it's a gamer event Oh, uh, okay. And putting on a show as part of the gamer event, I believe, is the way that works so fight for the fallen is their the next aew major event Okay. Um, followed by All Out. So, okay, but I don't think, like I said, I don't think Fight for the Fallen is going to be a huge event. I think they're donating a lot of the proceeds to 
um, anti-gun the violence. Victims of gun violence. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't think it's going to be. I, I don't think it's going to be where they're going to crown the new champion. Put it that way. Um, any event, so we moved on from that onto the next match. I guess you call it the main event of the buy-in pre-show. Kip Sabian versus Sammy Guevara, and I have to confess here, I did not see this match. I didn't catch this one. Uh, Sal, you said you saw some of it. Wouldn't you let us your thoughts on that? I liked it. Now, I had seen Sammy Guevara previously on YouTube, and for those who aren't familiar, he's a high flyer. He's fast. He's also a very cocky heel. Uh, I wasn't as familiar with Kip Sabian, who, in my opinion, actually outshined Sammy in this match. Mm-hmm. Very crisp worker, very fast. And and these two put on a good 10-minute match. And I was a little bit surprised, but Kip Sabian went over. So good on him. Yeah. All right. And we'd move to the pay-per-view proper at this point. And we have sort of an interesting open as the show opens with Cody, Brandy, and Farrow arriving at an arena. You've got Kenny Omega playing video games on his laptop. Uh, you've got Matt Jackson running into his arch nemesis, Michael Nakazawa, backstage. Uh, then he and Nick super kick uh, an agent backstage. Uh, and then we go to. So basically, what we had was sort of a being the elite open to the pay per view. Right, exactly. Um, funny, yes. I wasn't a huge fan of this for, for one major reason. Like, I think this needed to be about all elite wrestling and not come across as an extension of being the elite. I think this needed to have a big hot open and I don't think sort of mimicking the open of your YouTube show is necessarily the best way to do that. In my opinion, only. No, that, that makes sense. I, I think once they get a TV show, it's going to be a little bit different things that you see the normal video packages and stuff, but yeah, it was what it was. Yeah. Uh, so they go on the stage, they argue a little bit about who gets to open it. Ultimately it's Kenny Omega that provides the open. And then we go eventually after a while, to our first opening contest, and who gets to debut the first American wrestling match for All Elite Wrestling, but the people who did the first all-over match for All Elite Wrestling over in Shanghai, SCU, uh, of course, that is Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky. They took on the team of Strong Hearts, uh, Shima, um, oh god, I'm blanking, Oh, uh, remember the guy's name? Uh, no, I just knew the Mr. L. Lindemann. We had L. Lindemann was the other guy. Yes. And T-Hawk. Um, T-Hawk. From yes. the Oriental Wrestling Entertainment Promotion. Yes, Troy, that's the name of the promotion. Um, they came over, and I'll tell you what, they did a nice job. This was a really, really good match. Um, a lot of high spots for everybody. I thought Stronghearts made a great accounting for themselves here, and even... In defeat, SCU gets the win, obviously. Um, but <laughs> goddamn, that best melter ever is fucking phenomenal, dude. Oh my god! So th- there is a little bit of um, a problem I'm having with indie wrestling in general, where I feel like everybody's spiking everybody on their head, <laughs> and I, I don't necessarily <laughs> think that's the best thing to do. But Let's see a lot of that later on. That being said, best melter ever was a just oh my god it was such a crisp beautiful move yeah. um other than that at I his forgot. age christopher daniels is still just so fucking smooth so athletic everything he does is just you know people will talk about the best in-ring performers in wrestling and daniels doesn't get included in that group but he probably fucking should he absolutely should and it's funny because i remember watching him fight styles and joe in that amazing triple threat yeah. probably 10 years ago at this yeah. point 
And I enjoyed his work when he was with Ring of Honor. And Mm -hmm. I'm watching this match, and I'm like, he hasn't lost a fucking step. Him or Daniels. As opposed to some people we'll talk about later on who may have lost a step. But (laughs) more on that later on. But, yeah, I have... Great, great showing for the uh, OWE contingent, too. I thought uh, Chima p- particularly came across as an absolute star. He did um, look like a mega box. He just looked great. Yeah, absolutely. And T-Hawk was very impressive, too. Al Lindeman, I think, was the youngest one of the group, they said. And it showed a little bit. Um, and we all It know showed, my... but I like his, ger- his deadlift German suplex. Yes, yes. And we all know my feelings about guys who wrestle in, in trunks but no knee pads. Just looks weird. <laughs> Al Lindeman's a great example of why it looks weird to me. But <laughs> and following that, we go to the broadcast booth where they are joined by a women's wrestler for AEW. They don't call them knockouts or anything, which is probably good. Uh, female wrestler, signed All Elite, Allie joins. And this was, I mentioned this in the host thread, one of my favorite just sort of oh shit moments of the show. Uh, <laughs> Allie's making her in front of the camera AEW debut at a pay-per-view, and they flash her Twitter handle up, and it's Allie Impact. Like, oh, I might want to change that Twitter <laughs> handle there, honey. I'm sure she will eventually. Hey, at least it's not like at Dark Bunny Alley or something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that would be better. At least it's not tied to another promotion. Um, so you mentioned the commentators real quick, and I, I just want to get this out of the way early. I didn't get enough of a distinction when um, Excalibur was talking, except for when he was yelling, and uh, whoever the other guy was that was not Jim Alex Ross. Marvez. Alex Marvez. Like, I couldn't tell who was who half the time. Okay, I, I, see, the I'm a fan of Excalibur. I, 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 I am too. I very much enjoy it. I think he stole the show on commentary in this show. I think Jim Ross um, was not great. Uh, there were a lot of spots where I think Ross was, was out of place, missed some stuff. Um, Alex Marvez, the one thing that I took away from Alex Marvez on the show is every time they went to like the, the announcer shot, the one shot of the three announcers, he refused to look at anybody else. He just stared straight into the screen like he was trying to steal my soul through the television. It was patently uncomfortable. Like, the other guys are stopping and they're looking at whoever's talking and making it natural. Um, no, not not Marvez. He was just staring a hole through you, and it was very uncomfortable. That's but, true. Uh, but to that point, JR was looking down the whole time. Yeah. Well, Every time they went to I was like, what is he looking at? Is there uh, like a monitor down there or something? Anyway, and he was stepping all over the other announcers, too. It was, like, I know. It was, it was hard because, and, and to be in, in their defense, Excalibur does play by play, JR does play by play. So rather right. than. In a lot of cases, when you have a three man booth, you have a play by play guy with two color commentators. In this case, you tried to put two play-by-play guys, and I think there were cases where they were sort of stepping all over each other because, and that's not their fault. That's what they know how to do is play-by-play. Right, and and I think at this point, maybe at this point in his career, Jr. is probably better as a color commentator. But probably. when you do it for forty years, I mean, you're not. There's going to be times in the match where you just start. Doing play-by-play, and that's kind of what happened. Yeah. And we're going to speed through some of these matches just in the interest of time because there are some that we're going to want to spend more time on. But uh, Allie, by the way, looking fantastic uh, on this show. That The dress did a lot of nice things for her. Uh, yeah, I was going to say one spot in particular. She yeah, looked really fantastic. And for me. Uh, but we had our first women's match in AEW history as Dr. Britt Baker took on Smiley Kylie Ray, Nyla Rose, and as we were about to start the match, Brandy Rhodes came out and... She was in a wrestling gear, and they put over, is she inserting herself in the match? And I thought, God damn, I hope not. Um, yeah, we were about to get a Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> yes. 
And that was an interesting thing, too. She sort of played that role quite a bit. She played sort of... All the other elite guys seemed to be playing faces, and she seemed to be playing heel throughout the night. But we'll talk about well, that. Well, Cody was playing heel, too. Kind uh, of. but In and out. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but Brandy was out there to introduce that this was actually a four-corners match. She had a surprise entrant, and it was the return to professional wrestling of Awesome Kong, Kia Stevens, of course. Um this led to a match, and it was your typical sort of four corners match. Two people take a powder, two people work together, uh, a couple high spots. Um, Nyla Rose, of course, the first transgender uh, female wrestler in in professional wrestling. I don't know if it's in professional wrestling or in national television promotion. I don't know. But in either event, uh, good on her. Um, I don't know how much exposure you had to any of these women prior to this. Obviously, we all know Awesome Kong, um, and we've seen Britt Baker on a national level. But were you familiar with Kylie Ray or Nyla Rose prior to this? No. And uh, so, like you said, I was familiar with Britt Baker. Um, when Brandy brought out Awesome Kong, I was like, what a heel. What is she? <laughs> if anybody had watched the Road to Double or Nothing series, she built up all three girls like, oh, you're our favorite. You're going to win. Right. And then she introdu- introduces Awesome Kong yeah. into the match. That was the point. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, the thing about Kylie Ray, <laughs> I'd said this poor, on the poor, host. Poor thread. man's Bailey, yeah. I said, wow, she does Bailey better than Bailey does Bailey. No, she doesn't. <laughs> she does, she's cuter. She's much cuter. Are you kidding me? Nah, I don't know. Maybe it's just the smiliness of you, it. You got, a shot, you got a shot at one night with both of them. Who are you, one, one or the other? Who are you picking? Oh, yeah, probably Bailey. All right, I'm then she's saying, cuter. But I'm just saying facials in general, like... Kylie Ray is definitely smiley see, Kylie so for a reason. So that's the difference. Like Bailey plays a happy, excitable character. Smiley Kylie Ray plays sort of like the chick that doesn't give a fuck what's going on in wrestling around her and is just like sort of oblivious to what's going. She's on. Eugene. Yeah, exactly. It's a great, great, <laughs> great comp with with a uh, little more mental faculty. Yeah, that's yes. about it. Yeah. But she was even smiling when Awesome Kong came out and they were like, "Why is she still smiling?" And then she got decked and she was like, "Oh, she's not smiling anymore." Yeah. Um, but I thought all three went all, all four women, I guess I should say, uh came out looks looking really good in this match. Everyone got their spots in. Um there was nothing that really like holy shit uh stood out to me, but there I think everybody did an amazing job. Uh, Britt Baker got the win, which I think was probably the right call. I think she's the ready-made star of this women's division off the bat. Yes. She looked the most polished, and, and of all the girls, I was impressed with her the most. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kylie Ray, great accounting for herself as a performer. I, I wasn't super familiar with her. I had seen a little bit of her stuff. Uh, she was clearly excited about the moment on the biggest crowd she's probably performed for. Uh, and it showed, and that enthusiasm was sort of contagious with everybody, and I like that. Uh, Nyla Rose, I thought, was impressive as a powerhouse. My only thing with, my only criticism here is if you're going to bring out Nyla Rose and portray her as a powerhouse, don't then immediately bring out somebody who's bigger and stronger than her, right. Awesome Kong. And I think that. Although sort of, she's the one who took Awesome Kong out. Sure. So. But I think it just sort of took away from, Like, let her be the monster in the match. Don't bring right. out somebody else. But in any event, match was really good. I enjoyed it. Uh, Britt Baker gets the win. Probably, like I said, probably the right call. Um, some great spots, but again, like I said, nothing that really stood out too much. A lot of false finishes. Um, but Kong spent a lot of time on the outside, uh, as you would expect in this type of match. Then we then went on to our first tag team, our first straight tag team match, as opposed to a six-person tag, uh, where best friends Trent Beretta and Chuck Taylor took on Jack Evans and Angelico. Angelico... And Jack Evans with some very strange ring gear. Uh, full body oh, suit. See, 
I thought that was yellow. just their normal run gear. Well, I mean, I I'm not I don't see a ton of them in AAA. I saw most of my exposure to them was in uh, Lucha Underground. Lucha but Underground. They didn't look like that in Lucha Underground. And Helico does usually wear the full bodysuit, but I didn't see him wearing the fluorescent yellow. That was definitely a new look. Um, anyway, this was a really fantastic match between these two teams. I, I enjoyed it. Um, Jack Evans, I gotta love Jack Evans. He he actually acts like he's six foot five, two seventy five. Meanwhile, he's probably five foot five, like a buck fifty. <laughs> he's got such an attitude, though. I love it. But no, the best friends. I forgot how good uh, Chuck E. T. and Trent Barreto are. Yep. I think the last time I saw him was at a Wrestle Kingdom, maybe two years ago. Yeah, and that. They're amazing. They're really fucking no, good. They really are good, and they really sort of perfected this act in Ring of Honor. Um, never got a huge run in Ring of Honor, which I thought was a, sort of a mistake on the bookers of Ring of Honor's part, but they had a lot of tag teams up there. Um, I, to me, I thought everyone sort of knew best friends coming into this that was sort of watching this show. I think there were a lot of people who weren't as familiar with Jack Evans and Angelico, and I feel like those two really did a great job of establishing themselves in this promotion in their first night. I think people came away very, very impressed by the two of them. Uh, end of the match came with a doomsday device where the instead of hitting a clothesline, they hit a knee, which was a nice little, nice little twist, and best friends pick up the win. Then we go into what I thought was a definite boner on the part of All Elite Wrestling because the lights go out and the lights come back up, and all of a sudden, in the center of the ring, were the Super Smash Bros, uh, who are a tag team in Canada. The Young Bucks have had a program with them. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's Evil Uno and Stupefied. Um, they're in the ring. They've got their masked minions on the outside. The problem here is that none of the fucking announcers told us who they were. And it was, nope. and it was so evident that the crowd was chanting, who are they? So, so this was a major fucking disservice. If you're going to go to the extent of having these guys have the lights drop, have it come up, have the masked minions, beat the shit out of all four guys, including the two who just won the match, you need to make these guys feel big, important. This needs to be a holy shit moment. It doesn't need to be a, I, I think I've never seen these guys before. You oh, made them sound like worse. fucking jobbers. It gets worse because Excalibur goes, yeah, I'm familiar, but I'm hesitant to say who they are. Why? Right. Yeah. Why are you hesitant? Tell us who they are, asshole. Like they're, actually, they're wearing gear. What are we to believe? They fucking jumped the barricade. Like, I actually had in my notes. Great match between these four. I didn't like so much when Aces and Eights and Eric Young showed up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, they are a really, really good tag team. Funny gimmick. Uh, certainly stands out. But like again, you, right off the bat, you made them feel like. Less than because you didn't even tell the viewer who they were. This should was... it should have felt like a big moment, and and the problem, and, and again, it's reflected in the reaction of the crowd. This is a hot indie crowd, and they're chanting, "Who are they?" Yeah, they were like, "I don't know who the fuck they are," and I, I felt dumb. I was like, "Is it me?" Because I don't know who the fuck they are either. That was a bad, bad, bad start for Super Smash Bros. in AEW, and none of it their fault, but it was what it was. Uh, next up, how? The contingent of women from Japan, Hakuru Shida, Riho, and Ryo Mizunumi, I hope I'm pronouncing these correctly, uh, versus Aja Kong, Yuka Sakazaki, and Emma Sakura. Emmy Sakura. Um, I'm going to be honest, I didn't see a ton of this match. I had some problems with my stream right about that point. Um, but all things considered, I do know that there was a split, a split like a moonsault or a moonsault off the top. It was a moonsault off the top. Uh, it was a pinfall attempt. 
Referee counted two, and somebody decided to ring the bell on their own. And oh. the crowd was very not forgiving. They made sure. Uh, Aja Kong, long-time veteran performer and looked every bit the veteran. She looked definitely a little bit out of place with some of these younger athletic women out there. Um, I mean, it was a nice match, but I don't think anybody was any attachment to any of these women. And I, I think it was hard and it sort of showed in the silence of the crowd. Well, and then that's the problem. Is you just It felt very... You know, Adam does a great job when he does Nitromania of talking about the WCW-ness of WCW. And um, they used to do this all the time in, like, 95 and 96. they just roll out six Japanese people and let them go at the beginning of a pay-per-view. Mm. And nobody knew who the fuck they were. Right. And this was a little bit different. I felt like uh, some of the girls shined. There was one girl in particular, in particular who had a Freddie Mercury gimmick, which I appreciated. But um, other than that, like you said, Aja Kong was the name... They mentioned she had been wrestling for 33 years. It showed. It definitely showed. Uh, there was a couple high spots from some of the girls that I did appreciate. Obviously, uh, one of them really looked like Kyrie Sane. Was a, just a little bit jarring because I was like, "Did they? Did they sign Kyrie Sane?" But I, <laughs> other than that, I mean, it was good. It wasn't. So what you're saying is to you, all Asian women look the same? No, I'm saying she was <laughs> almost a carbon copy: size, hair color, everything. Um, you are correct though. When whoever rang the bell, talk about a miscue, because yeah. you're not supposed to ring the bell until the ref calls to the bell. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, by the way, we, speaking of people at the timekeeper's table, we didn't mention uh, Justin Roberts, ring announcer. Thought he did a great job. Not so crazy about the white suit, but white tux. Uh, but all things considered, I thought he did a really nice job. No, uh, I've always liked Justin Roberts. So yeah, I was a big. It was nice to see him back there. Um, so now we we've got about. Uh, 35 minutes left with the last three matches, and I think that's probably apropos. I'm going to have to spend a little dig into these a little bit. Uh, so we go to our first of, I guess, what was a triple main event, if, if we will want to call it that. Uh, Cody Rhodes versus Dustin Rhodes. And yes, Troy, he was introduced as the natural Dustin Rhodes. So there you go. Uh, Cody was Cody, but I think that's not, and we talked about it on the run. I don't think it's because he can't be Rhodes. I think it's because now he's just sort of become known as Cody, and he just runs with that. Well, and then they play into it. Like Justin Roberts introduced him as Cody and Brandy Rhodes. Yeah. yeah. No, and I think, it's, I think it's just sort of a gimmick at this point. But Cody makes his entrance uh, a little bit of a production issue. I'm not sure they knew. Uh, and we should actually probably talk about this, the stage, before we even get into the match. What did you think of the setup and the stage for this show? I liked it. I mean, I didn't expect anything WrestleMania-ish. I thought it did what it was supposed to do, and I thought it fit the theme. So I liked it. I thought it was cool. I liked the large poker chips, and they would come into play a little bit later on. I thought that was a nice thing. Um, I did think it was very TNA with the two tunnels. Really? Um, it reminded me of early TNA. They used to have that exact setup with the two tunnels, one for the heels, one for the faces. Um, mm. And the reason I bring that up is because there was a little confusion production-wise here because they had the cameras trained on the wrong tunnel as Cody was making his entrance. So, of course, now Brandy's already come out, and the camera mm. has to pan and see Brandy behind him to pick yep. up Cody. So that was a little bit of a production issue that, you know, growing pains. They're going to get better at that stuff. Um, but... She comes out, and for some reason, and I, I didn't get it at first, but as before Cody makes his entrance, there's this big sort of quiet moaning sound, like this music, weird droning music. Uh, and then they bring down the camera, and you see this throne with a cross on top and some skulls around it. Um, and then Cody comes out and sort of stares at it, and he and Brandy walk down to ringside, and Brandy pulls a sledgehammer out from under the ring. 
Very, very fucking subtle, guys, really. Uh, Cody goes back up the ramp and destroys the throne with the sledgehammer. Cody has said that this wasn't a shot at Triple H. On what fucking planet was this <laughs> not a shot at Triple H? Now, first off, let's... Okay, so I'm guessing this is retaliation for the pissant little company comment. This was them taking a shot back. Um, the problem I have is that Cody asked to be released from an active contract, and was. And then the company released Brandy because her husband wasn't there anymore, and she didn't want to be there. And they released them of their own volition. And then when they were free agents last year, the company offered them a ridiculous contract to come back. And to their credit, they bet on themselves, and so far it looks like they, they made a good decision. That said, where has this company fucked over Cody Rhodes? Well... I mean, that could go way, way back to how they treated his father, too. But but besides all that... You mean giving him a great job as a coach in the Performance Center and exalting him and naming a tag team classic after him and putting him in the Hall uh, of Fame? And I, I know Cody's had things to say about Starcade and, and them using that name for the event last year. But besides that, so that's the thing to me, and may, maybe I'm looking at this differently, but if Cody was a guy who got released or got fired or never got used or got screwed over by WWE, then I can see this as being vindictive. I almost wonder if he's just placating to what the fans want to see. Do you know what I mean? Like, was it because he's taking a shot at Triple H, or is this just a marketing scheme because people are going to be like, oh, they're taking a shot at WWE. You know what I mean? I don't know. Somebody, I think, I don't know if it was you or somebody else in the host brought up the point that, whether we want them to do it or not, a lot of their fans want them to do it. And right, sort of and that's what, yeah, I had said that. Um, and and that, that, that's, that's a good point. Um, I think there are a lot of their fans who are disenfranchised with WWE and, and enjoy them taking a shot at the company. Yeah, I think Cody's smart. I don't think he has a personal beef with Hunter. Like you said, what would be the reason, you mm, know? Well, we'll see. And, and sort of, it's interesting, and we'll talk about this big picture sort of, I think, on Thursday, but... Maybe AEW could be shooting themselves in the foot a little bit because one thing WCW did was took a very complacent, stale WWE product and showed them the blueprint of what people wanted that they were missing. And AEW might be doing that, and that may cause WWE to change their promotion. And I think WWE probably has the better natural athlete in-ring performers if they're allowed to go than AEW does. And if you show WWE the blueprint and they run with it, they could very easily do it better than you. But we'll talk about that big picture stuff on Thursday. Let's talk about this match because this was, again, and we talked about this at All In, and, well, I guess we'll get to the big picture at the end. But uh, some real great stuff in this one. Cody and Dustin um, sort of hesitant to lock up at first, sort of playing into that. The crowd fucking went nuts for Cody. I mean, huge chance, huge entrance. Um, of course, the, we mentioned the natural Dustin Rhodes was what he went with. Had the different colored bodysuit this time with the arms exposed. Oh, the crowd, the, the crowd went nuts for Dustin. Yep. I think is what you meant to say. No, no, they went. From, did you hear Cody during his intro? Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, both, both yeah. guys got a huge reaction. No, but Cody know. had an overwhelming like Cody chant before yeah, <laughs> it started. No, uh, Dustin came out with half face paint, red and black, on one half of his face. It wouldn't be long before his whole face was red. But. Uh, some great stuff to start. Uh, Cody, Dustin went for the Shattered Dreams. Cody pulled the turnbuckle pad off. That would come into play later. Um, he And it was a smart strategy for that move because at that point, 
if he goes to deliver the movie, he's going to kick a steel turn. So he had to stop doing that. Uh, so that was sort of smart. He then, uh, Cody hits a drop toe hold into that exposed turnbuckle, which is the moment we quote unquote busted Dustin open. He pay no attention to the, where he gigged himself on the floor right in the camera immediately after that. But, uh, he, he did a good job on the blade cell. Uh, at this point, Brandy spears Dustin for no fucking reason at all. Like, what a douchebag. Cody is sort of playing a, a half face or at least a tweener in this match. Uh, there's no fucking purpose for Brandy to spear Dustin and for Dustin to have to sell a spear from a 120 pound woman as being like fucking Goldberg hit him with it. I think made him look bad in that spot. I wasn't a fan of this at all. Um, uh, Brandy at that point gets kicked out by Earl Hebner. Um, Earl Hebner did a nice job in this match, by the way, for his advanced age. He did a really, really nice work here. Um, but at this point, the camera starts to really notice how busted open Dustin is, and he is bleeding like the proverbial stuck pig. There is blood everywhere. Cody is covered in blood. The mat is covered in blood. Very reminiscent of Steve Austin, Bret Hart, in some of those camera shots where they train up and he's squeezing his face and the blood's just pouring down off of him. Um, I, of course, WWE has shied away from this type of presentation of blood and, and things. and sort of. So now we see the other side of it. Maybe I've been so trained to the WWE style, but it was sort of uncomfortable watching this. I don't know how you felt now, about see, it. Now, see, I was very interested in your opinion on that because you're an old-school wrestling fan, yeah. correct? Yep. Watched a ton of Dusty matches back in the day. And that was always his thing, right? Like way when you think about like early 80s, mid 80s, he was bleeding all over the place. I, mean, I think Jim Ross mentioned Terry Funk. Yep. And it's a completely different age now. We're, we're talking 30 years removed and with everything we know, it's definitely not as prevalent in wrestling as it used to be. Right. So I didn't have a problem with it, but it was definitely, um, it was, a, okay, so it was a little bit uncomfortable. Okay. Only, only when, like you said, the close-ups when you'd see the blood like right. just pour out. Like Jesus Christ, how deep did you gig yourself? Well, and you know this is a this is essentially a fifty-year-old man almost, right? Who's, who's just having this massive blood loss in front of you? Now, and that's that, the other thing too is this went on the whole match, right? And that's bloody right from the beginning. Yeah, and that said, the expression, old school expression of wrestling, is that red equals green. Um, and, and in this case, I will say. There's some credence to this because the match felt more important, more urgent once that blood started flowing. It did add a lot to the urgency and the and made Dustin far more sympathetic of a character. And I think the crowd sort of shifted around that point and started to really get behind Dustin. At one point, they did the dueling chance of the boo and yay when they were punching and Cody was getting straight boos. Dustin was getting the cheers. I think all of that goes back to the blood. Um, I think it made Cody, I mean, it made Dustin a bigger star in this match. Um, at one point, uh, Dustin takes off Cody's weight belt, pulls his pants down and gives him an old fashioned country whooping in the corner. Uh, <laughs> That was something. Uh, I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah, a couple different crossroads. Some great fucking false finishes here. Some some moments that really you thought it was over, and they, they delivered a kick out. Absolutely got the crowd locked in. Um, the crowd was emotionally invested in this match, to say the least. Uh, the crowd shots, the reactions... Just amazing. And this is what we saw from at All In from Cody, too. The... the He's not the greatest in-ring performer, and, and nobody's going to say he is. 
But the way he can tell a story and take the fans on an emotional ride through his in-ring work is really, really impressive. He did it talk, telling the story about winning the same title Dusty held at All In. He did it telling the story about him and his brother here tonight. Of course, the match ends as Cody hits, finally hits the, I think it was the third time he hit Crossroads on oh, Dustin in this match. And then finally hits the cover, gets the three count. Um, Cody goes to leave, and as they do the replay package, he's about halfway up the aisle. Then he comes back down, grabs a microphone, and makes the announcement that he has a match at Fight for Fallen. He's signed to take on the Young Bucks with a partner of his choosing, but he doesn't need a partner. He doesn't need a friend. He needs his older brother. Uh, Very emotional moment. Dustin gets up. They have a huge embrace. Crowd goes absolutely nuts. Um, Really, really awesome moment. I don't know what you thought about it. I cried like a bitch when he said that line. <laughs> it was that was like all the feels, um, especially after you got taken on that ride. Dustin Rhodes, to your point, and I know I say that a lot. Um, That's because I'm right a lot. That's okay. <laughs> he made himself sympathetic throughout the beginning of this match. He did the my god, fucking fifty year old Dustin Rhodes doing the um, flipping senton off the. Or the the flipping cannonball off the apron, uh, and that popped the crowd because nobody thought Dustin could do that at his age. Yeah. And then throughout the match, they played into the whole oh he can't see because the blood's in his eyes, so he's swinging at the air. Just very good storytelling. Cody said it himself on on the uh, Road to Double or Nothing series. I'm the least Roads of the Roads. So yeah, yeah Cody's not gonna put on a seven star classic in the Tokyo Dome, but it, he knows how to tell a story. He knows he has good facial expressions. Mm-hmm. He has good urgency. And I thought it was a great fucking match. And I look, I get it. There's a little bit here that plays into the fact that obviously Dusty has passed away, but this I think is the, is the type of story I was hoping they were going to tell four years ago going into WrestleMania. But, see, I don't think they would have been able to tell it this way in WWE, and I don't know if it would have had the same impact. And I think this was the right stage to tell this story, and I think they did. Honestly, I think they did a beautiful job. Um, They really did. This was a hats-off performance by both men. Um, And, again, it's not the in-ring. It's the story. It's the emotional attachment you're able to get from the fans. Some of the best workers in, in history don't connect with the fans. You, don't, mm-hmm. you can be a great technical wrestler. You can know how to do all the moves. If you can't connect to the fans, it doesn't fucking matter. These guys connected to the fans, and it's something that Cody has done exceedingly well since he left WWE, um, probably showing how much they missed the boat on not letting him have this run within their company. But in any event... But credit to Dustin, too, because, I mean, yeah, he's always connected with the fans, but not... Jesus Christ, have you ever been this emotionally involved in like a Dustin Rhodes feud in the past 20 years? You know um, what I mean? I think the only thing that stands out to me was when he and uh, he and Cody were teaming up against the uh, Triple H Stephanie group. Yeah. Um, they had, with Dusty in their corner, they made it sort of an emotional thing for the, the two brothers to team with, sure, with Dad absolutely. in the corner. Um, and as far as just J- Dustin alone, there was... Back in WCW, there's a storyline where Ric Flair and Arn Anderson attacked him, and he got to well, team yes, with see, his we're dad. talking like 25 years ago at this point. Right, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just speaking in terms of, of times where it was sort of comparable. Um, <laughs> but this time, there was no Dusty, at least not in the physical form, uh, and they still pulled it off, and hats off to both of them. It was, it was 
again, and I think we said this at All In, it's not the technical masterpiece. It's not as great in-ring as some of the other ones, but to me this came across as, as probably my favorite match of the night um, for the storytelling, for the journey, for the, the trip they took us on in the ring. Um, we then go to some video packages because they have to change the fucking canvas because goddamn. <laughs> um, oh, I was going to say, they did change, like, they had to what peel off the like I don't know how it works like usually they'll have multiple canvases there and what happens is they just cut the ropes on the first one peel it off and the second one's there so it's a quick change um, but in any event we then go back up to the ring where Jack Whitehall is there uh, guy who couldn't get the title out of the bag on YouTube uh, and he introduces the man who's going to present the championship belt shocking moment for me because I had no idea this was coming uh, Bret Hart comes out recent two-time inductee into the WWE Hall of Fame. Um, shocking. I, were you shocked on this? <laughs> Not as much as Vince. <laughs> Fair point. No, I, 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 this, was a, this was a very well-done surprise. No, I, I, I was, was surprised. I was sitting there thinking, like, whoa, okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Somebody's called somebody and made yeah. a deal. Like, now, you can, in retrospect, decide if that was the right decision, because Bret Hart's promo was not great. Um, he said fact, himself, he hasn't yeah, done it in a while. Yeah, he himself was not. I mean, he just did a speech at the fucking Hall of Fame. The whole I haven't that done it in a while thing. written for him. Well, this <laughs> promo was probably written for him, too. I imagine they told him what they, what they wanted him to say. Everybody wants to shit on Bret Hart. The guy's a fucking stroke victim. Come on, I'm not shitting on him. I'm just saying <laughs> it wasn't the best like if you had it. I mean, DDP might have been a better choice to unveil this Possibly. Title. But in any event, if, you got a, if you're going to attach a promo to it, if it's just, hey, go out and show the belt, then Brett's a great choice. If it's you want to cut a promo, maybe you want to go DDP because he was there. He, we didn't even mention that. He was the one that pulled uh, Brandy out from ringside when she refused to No, and carried her to the back. Yeah. Not a good week, actually, for uh, over 50-year-old wrestlers from the Attitude Era trying to cut promos on TV. Well, except for Dustin. I meant Mick Foley, but okay. that's, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> Uh, in any event, uh, so basically he calls out the winner of the Battle Royal, Hangman Page, who comes out. By the way, and we didn't touch upon this, did really fucking bother me, and we, I talk about this on the rundown all the time, um, guys who just refuse to sell, and that's sort of what this, this group is. Hangman Page, you're telling me you're so crippled, you can barely walk, you can barely get to the ring, but you can do a fucking buckshot lariat where you catapult yourself over the top rope, land on your bad knee, and deliver a devastating fucking lariat. And then you get, and then you start selling your knee because it hurts. I mean, come on, dude. I mean, seriously. This is that bullshit that I don't like. But in any event, I am a fan of Hangman Page, big time fan of Hangman Page. I think this guy's a star waiting to happen. Just a small nitpick I wasn't crazy about in that battle royal. Uh, but he comes out, uh, wasn't long out there before he got completely cut off by MJF, who did a yeoman's job on the microphone as a heel. Just outstanding heel promo, including my favorite part of the whole thing at one point going, Oh, Brett, watch out, fans coming, fans coming. That was phenomenal work by MJF. Oh, my God. Even Brett was laughing. He wasn't even trying to like <laughs> act mad. He just couldn't help it. No, and, and it's true. MGF was fucking hilarious. Yeah. And then they uh, they go to a segment where they well, it's not a segment, but uh, he goes into his promo where he talks about what happens when a one leg you have a one legged horse or a horse with a bad leg. You take him out to the barn. You put a it's a very very good promo by MJF. Except for the fact that Hangman wasn't selling his knee at all, so we had no, no idea. He, he lived than, he lived down to the ring. Did he? Yeah. I, he stood there in the ring like, "Well, oh, come on, MGF, let's fight." Like, yeah, he he limped down to the ring. He was he was still selling it as much as he sold it in the battle royal, at least. Yeah. Um, so as he goes to fight, as Page goes to fight MJF, MJF tries to back off. 
this was the part that was sort of weird to me. Jungle Boy walks out behind him, and then MJF just turns and walks past Jungle Boy. Like, what the fuck was the point of? If you're gonna let him just walk past you, what the fuck was the point of coming out? Jimmy Havoc comes out, yeah. and then, oh, shit, Jimmy Havoc. Okay, now I'm worried. Right. Wait, so you just made Jungle Boy look like shit. Right. And they also made a big deal out of the fact that they had signed Darby Allen, and he was nowhere to be seen on this show, which I also thought was a little bit weird. Um, but in any event, he is going to be, I think they said he's on Fight for the Fallen, so um, he is booked in a future event. I just thought it was your inaugural event. I think Darby Allen's sort of a big guy, a big name on the indies that you might want to, might have wanted to put in the Battle Royal, at least, or something. Um, but in any event, Jimmy Havoc chases away, uh, and Jungle Boy chase away MJF. Uh, at this point, Bret Hart reveals the belt and does not hold it in front of the hard cam. He holds it up the aisle where the least amount of crowds and cameras can possibly see it. Uh, again, now, I'll excuse the promo, but Bret's a fucking 30-year veteran. He needs to know where hard cam is. Like, come on. Yeah. He cut the promo to hard cam, so he knew where the hard cam was when he was cutting a promo. The one fucking th- the reason you're out there is to get the money shot of that belt, and you held you didn't hold it up to hard cam. Come on, that that one's inexcusable, Sal. Even you can't make an excuse for that. Come uh, on. Oh, I, I'll give you that, but not only is that inexcusable, just the whole way we've been waiting for this belt, waiting for this belt, waving this belt, and as MGF is is going through the crowd, followed by Jungle Boy and uh, Jimmy Havoc, all of a sudden Brett just goes, belt. <laughs> All right, real quick thoughts on the belt, Sal. I like it. I, I know for I, uh, you know, I had heard that they were going for a mid south look. It does have that feel. It looks very good. It's very gold. And um, I, you know what, I dig it. It doesn't have to be, you know, all these different. They didn't have to put like all these different side plates and other colors and stuff like that. It's a gold belt. It works. It's the heavyweight champion. Yeah, I mean, it's a different look for sure. I'm. I'm it's not my favorite belt, but I don't hate it the way I hate like the twenty four seven title. Like, I mean, <laughs> I we all hate the twenty four seven. So, so I mean, it's on the scale of new belts that have been introduced lately. It's probably the best, but I don't. That's a low bar, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, it was fine. Uh, that brings us to our next match and our only title match on the entire card, which is, you know, a new promotion. You have no champions. Maybe you want to crown one, one or two on your first show. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But anyway. But, we did defend the titles of the AAA promotion, so not even an All Elite title, but uh, it gave us the Young Bucks defending the AAA Tag Team Championships against the Lucha Bros, Ray Phoenix and Pentagon Jr. Um, <laughs> this was high octane. This was yeah. this was all go no stop for sure. Um, first off, the entrance by the Lucha Bros, fantastic with the masks, and they come out and they they take off those masks and reveal their their wrestling masks uh really nicely done and the young bucks come out of course going with the vegas theme and like the elvis style jumpsuits just fantastic (laughs) now before we get into some of the match stuff here um i was on this on this very program for a long time critical of the young bucks and and their inability to sell i have in in the last year or so I've, i've publicly reversed course on that i think they've made a concerted effort to do better in terms of selling and putting over other people's offense i think they've really turned around in that regard i thought this was a fantastic match Mm -hmm. um i thought both teams brought it i thought the false finishes were great i thought the high spots were perfect they nailed everything and this is a lot of very very intricate stuff very hard very Everything has to go pretty much perfect for some of this stuff to work out, and they just do it so flawlessly, so easily, um, that it's very, very impressive. Um, 
that said, it did have perhaps my least favorite move in professional wrestling as uh, Matt Jackson got his air quotes arm broken by Pentagon uh, and then proceeded to hold him up with one arm. And that's and again, that's an improvement. That's what I'm talking about. He sold the arm while trying to execute the Meltzer driver. I, I don't mm-hmm. think I think I would say two years ago he doesn't. He just holds him up as if nothing happened to the arm. So that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I think he's done. They've both done great in this. Uh, Nick Jackson came across to me as phenomenal on this show, and I've seen him in the past. This was this might have been his coming out party to a national audience. I thought he really was the star of this match. Nick Jackson was great. Uh, to me, the star of the match was Ray Phoenix. And maybe that's my fault because I had forgotten just how good Phoenix is. Mm-hmm. But he was fucking incredible. Spot of the night for me was that insane springboard thing into he the Hurricane Rana. Yes. Yes. <laughs> While holding on to Matt and kicking yes. Nick. And it just, my fucking God, the timing you have to have on that. On all three guys. It was amazing. Yep. Um, yeah, these guys fucking brought it. Like you said, high fucking octane. This match was. Everything you wanted the main event of All In to be, but you didn't have the time for it. <laughs> and I was, um, I was really impressed with with the, just how engaged everybody was in the entire arena for the whole match. This was not a short match; it was a twenty four minute match. Right. And and yet, every single person in that arena was like right strapped in the whole time. Yeah, it no, was great. It, it was it was definitely all go no quit with the crowd too. Um, they were all there for this. I think most of us predicted that the Lucha Bros would win, um, thinking they would take those tag titles back to AAA. Uh, a little bit surprising in that regard that the Young Bucks got the win with the Melter Driver. Um, they they did talk about this new finisher and they they sort of put it over on being the elite, and then I don't think they did it. Did, I, I don't remember seeing it. No, there. and even the commentators mentioned it, and then they did something off the top rope, and they were like, that's got to be the new finisher, but it didn't work. Well, no, obviously. and they, even Excalibur said they, that was a oh, that was the oh, that was uh, an Motor old... City Machine Guns move. That's right, that's that they right. They were paying tribute to the Motor City Machine Guns. So, I, I, as far as I know, they never broke out this new finisher that so, was supposed to be so amazing. Maybe they but, didn't, but, they, but Matt Jackson did do something that I guess El Generico used to do, where, like, some type of weird... Uh, go to sleep while the guy hits the corner when he hit him with his knee, but he hit like he drove his face into the turnbuckle. Huh. I don't know. Excalibur was going nuts saying that it was an El Generico move. So. Oh, it was. Uh, oh God, yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. He was it a brainbuster on the top turnbuckle? Yes, or something like that. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. So in one weird flippy way. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a ridiculous. I, so we talk all the time. Like this was. Very high risk, but it was very sort of safe, high risk stuff. It wasn't, I mean, you talked about people getting dropped on their head. Of course, we had a good amount of that in this match. But by and large, it wasn't like ridiculous, over the top, high risk stuff. Um, It was very safe, high risk stuff that required a lot of precision, a lot of technique. But there wasn't like, it wasn't, you know, you're going to jump off a 40 foot tall scaffold and, and do crazy shit like that. Um, for me, you talked about the spot of the night. For me, it might have been uh, the spot with Nick Jackson where he goes for the kick, kicks him in the face, then follows that up by what is he did over the top something, comes back out, moonsaults off the apron. Yeah. Like, it's just ridiculous. The amount of precision, again, that has to go into every aspect of that sequence uh, and to just deliver it just so perfectly. It was tremendous. Um, One last thing about Pentagon. Yeah. I feel like... 
that gimmick with the arm was really great in season one of Lucha Underground because it told a story and it made sense. He was like an assassin at that point yeah. and he was breaking everybody's arm. But yeah, I'm already sick of it, man. We've seen it just at two shows if you count all in and I don't really want him to do it anymore because it's completely lost all impact for lack yeah. of a better term. Well, and, and the worst part, like you talked about it with the Lucha Underground when he did the spot, it was like the guy would the guys would disappear off TV for a month, like you wouldn't exactly, see them again. Exactly, because you would like legit break their arm. Right? Like, now it's just like it happens in a match, and then ten minutes later the arm's fine again. Like this, the at all in with Kenny Omega, he he quote unquote breaks his arm, and then Kenny Omega picks him up and hits a one winged angel. I did appreciate that after he did the move to Matt Jackson, Pentagon kept super kicking him in the arm, yeah. like in the armpit at one point. I was yeah. like, Jesus. Yeah, no, it was a fantastic match. Um, possibly Matt tag team match of the year. I don't know. It was it's certainly hard pressed to think of a better one at this point. Um, but I also don't think this is the last we're, we're telling of this story. I think there was. Uh, it seemed like they were getting set for the show of respect after the match, but then the cameras cut away to get us set for the main event. So I don't know if that actually happened and that was another production issue or not. Um, but who knows? I guess we'll find out somewhere online uh, as we move forward. But that brought us to the air quotes main event of Double or Nothing. Because, again, to me, this is a match I'd seen before. I understand the consequences were there with the winner going on to face Hangman Page for the for the championship and all that, and, and I get all that. To me, the main event, in retrospect, was Cody and Dustin, just because it was the most impactful match. But we went second to, time Cody's done that exactly. Uh, we went to Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega, Alpha versus Omega Two. Um, so first off, uh, we we go through the video package. I've never seen Chris Jericho look worse than he does in his video package. He looks out of shape. He's got a belly hanging over his belt as he's doing his uh, <laughs> battle ropes. Um, he's got Kofi Kingston's chest now. It's all concave. <laughs> it's um, worse. Yeah. It's actually it's, worse. Chris Jericho might be in the worst shape of his life. So next time you're listening to Talk is Jericho and he's telling you how great DDP yoga is, just saying. Evidence is right in front of you. Well, well, uh, worse shape visually, but as sure. far as, you know, cardio, it's all right. You can go. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, so we start with a very interesting entrance for Y2J because it starts with sort of playing out all of the different styles of Jericho. Now, here's the thing that I found interesting. I don't know if you caught this, Sal, and I could be wrong. Someone's going to confirm this somewhere down the line. I think it was Kenny Omega playing the old Jericho characters. Oh, um, I don't know. The guy didn't look that. If cut you go back, and, back, if you go back and watch, he's got the same curly blonde hair that Omega has. Omega's and, hair's gray. No, it's it's dirty blonde. All right, fine. He's We're nitpicking, but in any event, um, I think I think I think it was because I <laughs> I originally when I saw it I went oh that's Omega he's doing this to sort of mock Jericho. Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that Omega was able to do the Lionheart entrance and then quickly change into his gear in the next, like, what, four minutes? We're, we're changing to what? All he had to do was take a jacket off and... and he had the Lionheart... He had the whole... Tearaway pants. Tearaway oh, pants. All right, all right. Maybe. Maybe I, it was. I oh, think no. he was at least the Lionheart one. I don't know if okay, he did the other one. Maybe he was the Lionheart one, I yes. think he did the Lionheart one. I, yeah, I the think. other guy with the list with a very straight hair, he kind of looked like MCM. Yeah, yeah I think it was different guys, but I think it was Omega that did the first one. I could maybe. be wrong. 
And I think he might have done the light up jacket too. I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch it, but it looks. But like that it. was actually I actually enjoyed that. You went from Lionheart to the list to the light up jacket. I thought I, that was a nice visual. I wonder if Vince McMahon's gonna take issue with that. What can he do? It's not his fucking. Well, the list of Jericho was their intellectual property. The guy who came up with it got fired by them, and that was Jimmy Jacobs. Doesn't so. matter. Doesn't matter. They own the intellectual property. They sold that clipboard as merch. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure they'll get a cease and desist letter, which is fine because I doubt Jericho's ever going to do the list thing again. So. Just, I am just saying to you, given the whole sledgehammer on the throne thing. Why? Why even open the door to let Vince get in? Right, and, right. Well, and maybe, and maybe, and maybe, that's what they want. Maybe they want to sort of trigger petty Vince so that they can play the little engine that could. Look, we're being, oh, do you remember um the whole too sweet thing? Yeah, and the and young bucks came out with the cease and desist shirt. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So well, there you go. So it wouldn't shock me if this was done intentionally to bait them. But in any event, uh, Omega came out with a – so Omega had new music. I was, It seemed very low-key music for Kenny Omega. Um, just, I never wanted his New Japan theme more. Yeah, very, <laughs> that fucking music sucked. I don't know. Just very nondescript. Like, even for a guy that's a gamer, I could, like more 8-bit sort of thing would have been cool. Like, anything but what we got. And it was sort of – Jericho got this really sort of grandiose, great entrance, and then it was like, oh, and Kenny Omega. Like, it was just very weird. Yeah, which is weird, because juxtapose that to, to Kenny Omega's entrances of the past three Wrestle Kingdoms. Right. Like, and this is Kenny fucking Omega. Like, this is the guy that everybody knew, like, was going to AEW and was yeah. going to be the star right. finally in America in... To me, his entrance was very lackluster. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, you talked about, like I just said, juxtaposed to the great entrance they gave Chris Jericho. Uh, it, it was just very strange to me. But in any event, the match starts off very brutal, very hard-hitting. These guys certainly weren't holding anything back. Um, what did you think? What were your thoughts on this match before I get into mine? So first off, Kenny got busted in the face at one point, and his nose Broke started his bleeding. Nose, yeah, yeah it started bleeding a little. It wasn't anywhere near Dustin, and no, it wasn't no. even anywhere near Samoa Joe at no. um, God, what was that? Money in the bank. <laughs> That's how quickly we forget. But the thing about this match that I really liked is that, <laughs> look, for all the people who want to give him shit, the psychology that Chris Jericho utilizes in a match these days is what you would expect from somebody who's been doing it for 25 years. He knows how to piss people off. He knows how to be a heel. He knows how to get heat. And I that's what I thought the story of this match was. Well, at first he I was a little confused. I didn't know if it was Jericho or Ace Romero. But uh, once I realized it was <laughs> Jericho, uh, things got going. Um, what did you think of the spot early on where he Omega goes to jump on the barricade, almost knocks the barricade into the people at ringside, yes. uh, then goes to jump to do the moonsault, gets pushed over on top of the fans. So this is the shit Vince wouldn't allow to happen because of the mm-hmm. potential for lawsuits or damage. This is sort of, you can tell, your your renegade promotion where they don't mind putting the fans in a certain degree of risk. Um then Jericho grabs the camera, which I actually really loved. I thought that was classic Jericho. And then uh, they go to that camera yes. feed, and, and yes. Kenny spits water into the yes. camera lens. Uh, at this point, 
I believe it was Excalibur, kept referring to Jericho as Generico. And I don't yes. know if it was because he said that during the Young Bucks match he brought up Generico, and it was still fresh in his head. But there were three or four occasions during this sequence where he said, now Generico's got the camera up on his shoulder. Like... I just yeah, I, I noticed that. that, and I didn't want. I didn't know if it was like a shot or like. No. But no, yeah, I think he was just getting confused. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a random table spot. I, I just sort of seemed to come out of nowhere. Uh, I didn't even know that table was set up there. But I all didn't of a sudden, either. Okay, so that it, wasn't so. just me then. Okay, that was not just me then because it was right in the middle of the aisle. It wasn't like it was an announcer table or anything like that. By the way, we didn't even talk about this. the fuck was the random cracker barrel in the Thank ma- you. in the ring at the beginning Thank of the match. You. I was just going to bring that up. For some fucking reason, we come back from the entrances as Justin Roberts doing the introductions, and there's a fucking cracker barrel, like a legit barrel, like they used it all in, just sitting in the in one of the turnbuckles. And I'm like, okay, maybe during the video package, but were they like shooting t-shirts, like a t-shirt gun or something, and they used the cracker barrels? I don't know. But they tried to get it out of the ring, and like morons, they tried to get it out from the bottom rope, and Jericho just walks <laughs> over there. High faces the ref, yeah. takes the cracker barrel and shoves it through the middle ropes, and he's yes. like, "What are you fucking dumb?" Right? <laughs> I like. I would get this. Like, at least at all in, they were constantly reminding us they were thanking Cracker Barrel for catering the event and all that stuff. So it made sense. Right? There was no mention of Cracker Barrel up to this there was point. No it reason was just, for there to be a barrel in the yeah, ring. Yeah, made no fucking sense. It was, and then I'm like, okay, well that Cracker Barrel is going to come into play later on in the match. Fucking no, not nope. the really, nope. really nope. fucking bizarre. Um, I could do, it's so fucking weird because like I said, I always been a fan of Katie Omega. I can do without Excalibur dying a little bit inside every time he hits a V trigger. Like, it's kind of, it's like what, um, Kevin Kelly used to do when, when the Young Bucks hit a super kick, but it's super kick! V trigger! Like, okay, dude, Jim Ross is old. He can't handle that kind of yelling. Well, I, I but, understand. It's, it's sort of the new generation commentator's <laughs> way of putting stuff over as being huge. You see, and you, you've you been a commentator for a number of years. Is that like a, a style they tell you to do, or is that just I, listen, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm gonna say all three of those guys are probably better announcers than I am. That's why I'm on the Indies and they're working a national promotion. But um, I tend to, my, my approach tends to be try to scale it up. So don't go right to it, sort of. Don't be Morrow. No, <laughs> amp it up as, as you get closer to the finale because the match is going to build to a crescendo, and I feel like my commentary should too. That's sort of my approach to it. Um, my my commentary should never hit a high point before the match does, if that's the best better way to say it. I, I've heard similar um, analysis from Taz actually because he was very critical of Morrow at one point. But yeah, it's to the same thing. You should you should be crescendoing with the match, not right. starting at a ten. Yeah, exactly. There's no way to go. Exactly. Uh, uh, but but then you're uh, then you're over delivering commentary on a point in the match that's not at that level yet. So right. Uh, speaking of commentary, I think I think this was probably Jim Ross's best match of the night, probably because he's familiar with Jericho. But. Uh, again, this booth I don't think worked. So, um, yeah, no, it, it was definitely Jerry. I, I I would agree with you. I think Jim Ross was at his best here, and I think he was familiar, obviously, with Jericho, very familiar with Jericho, and of course he did a lot of work with New Japan, so he was familiar with Omega too. So uh, maybe it was just that familiarity that he didn't have with the other talent that made it a little bit easier to do this match. Um, again, we could go through spot by spot, but we're not going to do that here. Uh, what do you think of the finish? 
I mean, I know they were hyped up this. <laughs> which which this... version? Because the first time they tried it, uh, Omega gets him up for the V trigger, mm-hmm. and Jericho goes to drop it down into a DDT, except he doesn't quite get his footing and just sort of falls flat, falls. Uh, mm-hmm. which does drop Omega on his head. Uh, and yet Omega's the one who pins him. Yeah, and Omega goes for a cover, which is really fucking weird. And then a couple moments, and this is what I fucking hate, and we talked about this in the Pete Dunne, um, I think it was the Pete Dunne-Joe Coffee match on the UK mm. first UK takeover. Um, when you miss the spot, go to something else. Don't, don't do it again. Don't yeah. go and do it again, because it just becomes so blatantly obvious that you're following a script at that point. They it do sort it. of takes you out of it. But that's what they did here. Omega went for the V-trigger again. Jericho dropped out into the DDT, hit it much better this time. Spiked them this time, according to Jim Ross. Yeah. As Omega stumbles to his feet, Jericho hits the uh, Judas effect. Judas? Oh, what is it called? Judas, Judas effect. effect. Yeah, he, it's the reverse elbow, uh, knocks Omega out with it, gets the pinfall. Sort of surprising. It's sort of a, I don't want to say anticlimactic finish. It's but a that's, move that Cedric Alexander does as a setup move. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, to put it into perspective. Again, and we talk about we're supposed to make we're supposed to buy Kenny Omega as the greatest wrestler in the world and a huge star in this company. He gets a shitty entrance and loses to a back elbow. I mean... Yeah, I didn't feel, I didn't feel Kenny as the greatest in the world yeah, tonight. I it, did it not. Across that way. And Jericho, again, we talked about it, looking every bit the almost 50-year-old performer that he is. Um, he, he went... But it wasn't it wasn't classic Jericho. Let's just put it that way. Um, there were some spots. There were some moments. So, I don't think he was bad, but no. I don't but there he... was some brutal stuff. I mean, we talked about the DDT spot. The DDT there, was one of them. there was the spot where they went for the back suplex off the top rope, and it took them about twenty minutes to get in the right position to do it. <laughs> um, it was really awkward watching Jericho take the Snapdragon suplex is just uncomfortable. Um, but all things considered, it was it, the match was perfectly fine. I, I'm sure some of the AEW, you know, insufferable ass kissers will tell you it was like the greatest match in history. It was good. It was fine. It was not as good or emotionally investing as Cody or Dustin. That should have closed the show. It was but not as good as the box. No, not no, anywhere close. Of the in three, fact, of the, the three co-main events. Yeah, this was the third best yeah. match of the night. Yeah. Not even. It was yeah. the third By most far. important match of the night, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Jericho grabs the mic afterwards and says he wants his thank yous. Uh, it's at this point where the crowd starts to go nuts. And then we cut to a shot of the crowd, and John Moxley is running in through the crowd. I wonder where they got the idea to have John Moxley come in through the crowd. I don't know. Damn it. Uh, Damn it. <laughs> hops the barricade, takes out Chris Jericho, then takes out with the Dirty Deeds, or whatever the fuck he's going to call it now, the Moxley effect. I don't fucking know. Um, Mox drop. There you go. There you go. That works. Um, so takes out the referee with that move. I, Paul Turner didn't look like he was ready to take that move. I don't know if that was sort of an ad lib or not. By the way, Paul Turner, the third or fourth person on the show to be said to be the senior official of AEW by the announcers. Um, Rick Knox well, was for sure. and then an, Earl, obviously. Earl, and then Earl might have just been because of his age. I think, the only referee that was, yeah, I think the only referee that wasn't referred to as the senior official was the woman, which is sort of sexist, but we'll talk about that on another date. Um, but in any event, uh, then Moxley watches as, as Omega starts to get to his feet. Goes what to, does JR say? Did you catch what JR said? What? He said, oh, Omega. Why not go after Omega? He's not immune. He's not immune. He doesn't have a vaccine. Yes. Yeah, I heard that. I did hear that. Um, it looked like uh, Omega, not Omega. It looked like Moxley went to the local Hot Topic, grabbed a jean jet, jean vest, and just spray painted Mox on the back of it. Way to 
I guess that severance check with WWE, he didn't waste it on his gear, apparently. Uh, he but, wasted it on the video. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, but in any event, he goes to hit the dirty deeds on Omega. Omega shoves him out, which is a nice spot. I like that. Takes him out to the floor. They start brawling all over the place. They brawl out to ringside. Big uh, AEW chant at this point. Yep. Uh, they go out into the crowd. They're fighting all over the place. They get up onto the set. They knock off the first big poker chip, which was great. Uh, they climb up to the top of the stack of poker chips. Uh, Moxley hits the DDT on Omega on the top of the poker chips, and we fade to black. And no, end. no, 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 no. Sorry. No. Okay. Moxley, after he hits the DDT, picks up Omega, knees him in the face, oh, yes, and yes, then yes, proceeds yes, yes. to uh, look like AA him off the, off yes. the chips. Yep. And, and into a much less obvious crash pad than WWE uses. It sort of, I thought it looked much better than some of the stunts, right, w, some right. of the times WWE's done. Uh, stunts. And they called it a Death Valley driver, so maybe he wasn't taking a shot with, with doing an AA, but it sure did look like an AA. Yeah. Well, in any event. Um, so then we fade to black, and the first pay per view of the AEW era is in the books. And Sal, overall, let, let's go, Meltzer. Five star rating. What do you give this? As much as I might get, you know, criticized for saying this, I'm giving it 4.5. I liked it. I was yeah. entertained. Um, the things that were bad weren't terrible. They were just okay at the worst. Um, Bret Hart was kind of bad, but again, yeah. that was like a three-minute part of the show. Um, and maybe because it's something new, but I was entertained the whole time. I had yeah. a great time watching this. Yeah, fair point. Of four and a half is about where I would land on it too. And you know, before people talk about how oh, well, this has set the landscape and we're now competing with WWE, no, no, motherfuckers. Let me. This was a good NXT show. Okay, this was exactly. This wasn't main roster yet. This was a good NXT takeover. That's 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 the comp to this. Um, yeah. It was it was in the discussion with with some of your really good, not great NXT takeover events. Um, Maybe. And I would say this is better than All In, but sure. that was half of an hour. So really, this was night one for them. You yeah. know, let's see what the second show looks like yeah. and All Out and all that. So yeah, and they're gonna get better. Yes. They're gonna get more comfortable. They're gonna get more familiar with the process and the production, and they're gonna iron out the the kinks and the thing. Uh, if I had one criticism, I'd say maybe too many matches. Uh, and and I say that sort of in the comp to the Takeover thing. I think sometimes the thing that makes Takeover great is that they have fewer matches, so things have more time to breathe. They have more time to tell stories. I could have done without the six-woman Japanese uh, match. I, I could have done probably without as much as I liked it. I could have probably done without Best Friends versus Angelico and I was just uh, thinking Jack that too. Yep. Um, I think he could have stuck to six six matches and been really on point with all six and, and sort of given each one time to breathe. Um, I did like the... And we talked about on the rundown that I thought if Moxley was going to show up, they would have advertised it. And I still think that would have been a smarter move in terms of drawing people to watch the product. But they are old school wrestling guys over there. And I sort of understand the notion of wanting to close the show with a surprise, especially if you're going to have a heel go over in the main event. You want something to make the fans leave happy, which is something WWE fails to do a lot. when they have See, and that, that's the one thing is, is regardless of Moxley being the one, 
we don't get surprises in wrestling anymore. Sure. And maybe it's because Vince owns everything. So if somebody comes up from NXT, it's not that big of a surprise. Sure. But he doesn't even present people like that. He, you know, he does his call-ups and he sticks them in a six-week video package and then does nothing with them. Next week, but, Goldberg's on Raw. Like, you know, yeah. yeah I, I, miss, I miss that with wrestling. Yep. I miss the surprise. Um, I will say this. Uh, I had a feeling if if they were going to get Moxley to sign, they weren't going to advertise it on that video. They were going to make it a surprise. That's great. Look, well, we, John, we, we said at the time there were two places that could afford the production in that video. Right. And, and it was WWE and AEW. So, so, you know, here's the thing, and, and this is me saying this. John Moxley isn't the greatest wrestler in the world. Do I want to see John Moxley versus Jimmy Havoc? Sure. Make it bloody as fuck. Make it a well, death. I mean, I'll it, lo- watch it. it looks like we're going to Moxley and Omega, and I'm I'm, I'm interested to see it because I've been overly critical of, of Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, whatever you want to call him, John Good, whatever, whatever you want, what name you want to know him by. Now we're going to find out. Now we're going to find out if he was his performances were lackluster due to constraints put on him by Vince McMahon in the WWE, or, or if he's just not as good as people think he is. Possibly. That, and that's been my take, and we're going to find out if I'm right or wrong on this, because now he's in there, he's got free reign to do the stuff he wants, he's going to be in there with a guy that people refer to as the greatest wrestler in the world right now. No, There's no more excuses now for Moxley. This is the spot. You, you sink or absolutely. swim now. So if, if he was as good as people say he is, he should rise to the occasion right now. Because absolutely. if he sucks, then everything everybody said about him originally was true. Yeah, absolutely. That being said, last thing about this show. I really hope when they come, when they have the Omega match, he comes out in a big floppy cowboy hat. That's what I'm hoping oh, for. Oh, Jesus. Um, so we're now going to get, at some point, Kenny Omega. I mean, not Kenny Omega. Forgive me. We're going to get Hangman Page versus Jericho for the AEW title. Mm-hmm. There was talk last, last week that it was supposed to be Pac going over Hangman, and he would then lose to Kenny. So were they going to make Kenny the champion I think of so. AEW to start? I so now so. where do they go? Because I hope they don't put that belt on Jericho. I really I, do. I'm going to tell you the truth, Sal. I think they're going to put the belt on Jericho. Wow. Uh, I, think Jer- I, I think they view Jericho as their biggest mainstream name, um, and I think they view him as a heel that can get the title over. And I think they view him as a heel that can be that heater for whoever that first big champion is. And now he and Omega are at one-on-one, and you put that title on Jericho, and somewhere down the road, he and Omega have that third and deciding rubber match where you finally put the title on Omega. If it's me, I'm putting the belt on Hangman Page. I want the young stud. I want the guy who is the future of this company to have the belt. But I, I think it's going to end up on Omega eventually. See, I want it on Hangman Page. I'm wondering, though, just by everything you just said, is it too early? And do you just go safe and put it on the name? Yeah, no, I think, that's what gonna, I think it's going to end up on Jericho. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I kind of I really hope you are wrong. I hope wrong. I'm wrong. I, I really do. Um, but so that is going to do it for our recap of AEW's Double or Nothing first pay-per-view offering. Um, we're going to talk about it much more in depth again, I'm sure, on Thursday's edition of The Rundown. But Sal and I were hit, hanging out on a Sunday night, and uh, we figured, hey, let's blend it up and let's talk about this thing that was fresh on our mind. I had just watched it, and I was like, hey, let's let's go talk about it. Um, some great stuff. All things considered, I, I don't think you can classify this as anything but an absolute success. Absolutely. All right. All right, so folks, we will catch you this week on the rundown proper. We have so many shows coming up. We are what 
one week away from the next salvation? Yeah, if I if I can finish it by then. <laughs> I'm uh, not inspired. It's WrestleMania 27. I'm okay. sorry, guys. All right. Well, we got a lot of stuff coming up this week. We're going to have, of course, our usual NXT revisits, our rundown flagship show, our twat magic show. Uh, for our patrons, apparently a, a episode two of uh, what's that show? That Burning Jeff Sensation. And, Burning Sensation that Jeff and Troy recorded will be released tomorrow for our patrons only. Yes, so if you're not a patron, hop on that. And, of course, uh, Troy still owes us another uh, edition of Wrestling with Dicks. That's the one I'm waiting for next on the Patreon feed. Anyway, uh, speaking of dicks, go to rundownwrestling.com and vote in our hottest WWE male tournament. Uh, some great responses from people. So there are people who are totally into telling us who the hottest dudes are. And that's good because, you know, my frame of reference isn't as good as some other people's. So it's nice to have some feedback and find out where my opinion ranks with everyone else's. Uh, again, if you haven't, go check out the Ladies' Night special on the Rundown feed. Fantastic episode. Uh, again, another great episode of Twat Magic just dropped. Hurry up and cruiserweight. I believe Jeff will be back in the fold. We certainly want Jeff to feel better. Fantastic edition of Making the Grade with uh, Jeff and his feathered friends uh dropped today on the feed so go check that out fill it in for adam he should be back doing hurry up and cruiserweight this week if he doesn't die from pneumonia or whatever it is he has uh but we certainly yeah absolutely (laughs) so go check out rundownwrestling.com all of our shows there all week some great stuff almost every day we're dropping new stuff so go check it out hit up patreon throw us at least you know we got different levels hit us up at five bucks it helps everything goes back into the show and we appreciate all of it so that is going to do it for this edition of the blender i want to thank sal for sitting down and joining me thank you jason for talking with me about this i enjoyed it Absolutely. I think we were probably the two most predisposed to like this. I know Troy's been skeptical. Ginger hates anything that's not WWE, and Adam doesn't know half these guys. So I think it was you and I that were (laughs) the most likely ones to it. So I think it's fitting that we were the ones to sit down and talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. We will talk to you next time when we sit and mix it up on the Blender. See ya.